Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Avalanche Journal's primary preview. My name is Matt Dotre. I'm the go government reporter for the AJ. Uh, I'm joined today by Gary Boren. Uh, Gary is a candidate for Lubbock County judge running in the Republican primary against Curtis Parrish and Karen Gibson. Gary, how are you? Just fine. Thank you, Matt. Yes, Appreciate sir. the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. I know you've had a busy morning. <laughs> Uh, you want to take the time to introduce yourself. I know you, people in Lubbock probably know you or have seen your name before, but uh, why well, don't I'm, you? I'm, a, I'm born and raised in Lubbock, went to Monterey High School, and graduated from Texas Tech. Uh, married, I have uh, three daughters, one son, three Shih Tzus, and one German Shepherd. Okay, full household. So, yes, <laughs> a full household. My mom, Geneva Born, uh, started our business, G Born Services. Uh, we were in business 57 years. Out of that 57 years, I worked 47 years with her, and we worked with 50, 60, 70 companies in Lubbock, and um, we grew, and uh, we did Texas Tech, Texas Tech Athletics. Uh, for instance, like a football game, we mm -hmm. would furnish f over 500 workers, security, event staff, uh, ticket takers, ushers, cleanup crews. We did Big 12 baseball, Big 12 basketball, Southwest Conference. We did we've, we followed the whole scope of Texas Tech. Uh, we've done um, you know the, the South Plains Fair. We've worked with the uh, city. We've worked with um, every manufacturing company, distribution company, um, and also as a side event, uh, I also did some music promotion, mm -hmm. and uh, started that in 2008 and brought in major entertainment groups to Lubbock, Texas, just as, just because it wasn't being done and everyone said it couldn't be done, and I made a determination to get it done. Yeah, that, I remember seeing your name quite a bit when uh, Paul McCartney came yes, here sir, specifically. Yes, sir, Paul McCartney. It took five years to get him here. <laughs> and it started with a phone call, going to Nashville, tons of phone calls to New York, to his headquarter account, to London, you know, catch them on the road, sending material, uh, working with Bill Kearns here at the AJ. He's, he'd send great material. I'd take his material and I would forward it, you know, to uh, to uh, Sir Paul's headquarters and uh, his producer and his, uh, his, his team. And it was, many times I felt like it was, it wasn't going to happen. And then one day we got that call that he's coming. I thought, God, thank you, Lord. I can't believe we pulled it off. You know, because <laughs> yeah. it was a he never five been years here. of work. I'm sure there yeah, was a little, he's never been a little here, relieved. <laughs> but he had every reason to be here, but mm -hmm. never would come here. You know, and so having him here was just a great historic momentum, I mean, momentous type situation. And then you know, I've done Alabama, I've done um, Sugar Land. Little Big Town, one of my favorite groups. Uh, ZZ Top, Leonard Skinner, uh, Zach Brown, you know, before the UT games, <laughs> Zach Brown Band. And uh, with him, we had the, the meat, M-E-A-T, and greet, where he, he had a barbecue sauce and he liked to cook. So we had guests come in and we had them eat meat, barbecue, you know. <laughs> and that nice. was before the UT, you know. So, uh, and then we had... Uh, Oh gosh, trying to think of all the other bands. Uh, little is the, the Rascals, that Rascal Flats. Excuse okay. me, Rascal Flats, and um, we're working on some major ones this year, 2018. That 
hopefully will come to fruition. And I mean, these are worldwide entertainers. I mean, if I was to say the first name, you'd fill it in real quick, you know. So uh, you got such a great group at, at the United Spirit Arena. Yeah. You know, so, so you're still involved in that. So I, oh, you have yes. since, so you've since retired from G Born Services. Yes, sir. Now right. let me. I'm sorry. I'm. Uh, preaching too long there but anyway long story short we sold our business in october and uh and so uh mom is uh 95 and uh she's uh full steam full go still still working helping me in our campaign with, as with our daughters and family so uh, uh that that's a little bit about my history Okay. Okay. Very nice. Uh, well, you didn't even mention the city council or the school board. You've been so you've been elected before. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, and I was 30 years old when I was elected to the school board, and that was 1982. And then I served six years there, president of the school board. And while we were there, we privatized uh, a lot of the operations, the busing, the custodial staff, food service. We're trying to get education out of business services and, and focus on freeing up dollars to go to the classroom. Uh, two terms on the city council. And um, uh, in both times that I was in, on the school board and or LIC trustees and the city council, two different times uh, the governor of Texas put me on committees to solve problems. The first time uh, was uh, a governor uh, who had issues, uh, education was going through reform. And so they wanted me to work on the technical vocational aspect of it. And so I was chairman of the technical vocational edu education plan. During that time, uh, Ross Perot came out and he was against FFA and FHA homemaking. And uh, I wasn't going to take it because I thought FFA is a great leadership course. It's great for kids. And he was saying, well, all they do is carry a chicken under their arm. So we had we we went we we clashed very hard and heavy, and I like Ross Perot. You know, we clashed hard and heavy, and uh, uh, FFA uh, survived, and FFA gave me their highest award, the the blue and gold award in Fort Worth. Uh, VOAG teachers did, and FHA did, and then uh, I had when I was on the chamber, recognized as uh, chairman of the leadership Lubbock. I had Ross Perot come speak oh, really? to, to all the classes, yeah, because I mean, he's a great businessman, a great mm -hmm. American. Mm -hmm. You know, I just disagreed with, he was more urban and we're more agriculture out of sure. West Texas, yeah. you know. And had Bump Wright, who was um, chairman of the board of Texas A&M and owned the Dallas Cowboys come speak to us. We recruited him to come speak. So uh, it was a fun time and, uh, and being on the city council was a fun time and had great opportunities for development working on projects, uh, working on a lot of tough situations that uh, I don't know how we survived a lot of the stuff that was going on. Because a lot of times the economy was not booming as it is like today. Mm -hmm. It was tough, you know, and so uh, we had a lot of myriad of issues that we had to deal with. But then that's when uh, Governor Rick Perry put me on the appraisal task force to reform appraisals in the state of Texas. And I went to every major city in Texas, and we studied the appraisal, the appraisal process, how it operates, and the impact on taxation, and what are elected officials doing with that. And we found out who the, who the, uh, we found out where the mischief was being done. Mm -hmm. And the mischief is not necessarily the appraisal board, the mischief is the elected officials. Because when values go up, the elected officials should take the tax rate down to offset those high increases. But we found out that they love that free tax money, 
and they could blame the appraisal office for it and not take responsibility. And that's really, in a nutshell, and that's still the same issue that's going on today. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, so not much has changed then in, in, in that regard. Yeah. So, so tell me when you were on the city council, what years? 2002, 2007. Okay. And while we were there also, um, 2004, I led the, I led the, the fight to uh, uh, freeze people's property taxes when you turn 65 or disabled. Uh, the, the legislature gave the counties and cities the option to vote it up or down one time. It passed in Lubbock 89-90% the year before, so you had one year to, to get it done. As soon as it came available, I pushed that thing through, and it was, was not easy. And at the time, the county did not want to do that. They did not want to let go of it and, and freeze people's property. You know, but yeah. I, we felt that was the right thing to do, and so we led that fight and got that accomplished. So 2004, we got uh, your taxes frozen if you're 65 and older from that year. That's 14 years ago till today. And um, uh, I'm just glad we did it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's a, a great thing to have. And uh, also start off with truth and taxation. I try to get every, every elected government in Lubbock, Texas, to adopt truth and taxation. They never would do it because all, all truth and taxation is, it's a, what's funny about it is it's state law. And you ask them to, uh, to endorse the state law, and they wouldn't do it. It just says you'll, you recognize that each year the government body starts off with the same amount of money. It's called the effective tax rate. Yeah. And if you want more money than that, you have a cap. You know, and you, you, you go to the taxpayers, and they didn't want to do that. They didn't want that accountability. It just amazes me. So we made the, uh, we did it in Lubbock, the city council. We did it. We started off at the effective tax rate and made state news and the governor, uh, and, you know, invited us down to Austin and had me sit on the platform at the 2006 inauguration and uh, of, the, of the Texas legislature, you know, and, uh, you know, he basically, uh, appraisals were his, one of his big agenda items. Mm -hmm. And he says, you say it can't be done, but they did it in Lubbock, <laughs> Texas. He says, y'all should stand up. So we stood up, you know, and it was quite a moment to see the whole legislature. I bet, yeah. And say that you can do something about people's property tax. You, you can do something about it. There's no such thing as free money, mm -hmm. you know. And if you realize it's not your money, it belongs to people, citizens, homeowners, property owners. And so I had that that passion to make sure that people understand that it's their money, not the government. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, well, and I want to ask you, so you're, the city council you were on has come up in the news lately for not spending the bond money that was voter approved for one of the things being this, the auditorium coliseum. Uh, that, you know, what, talk about that because what I, when I went back and read our old stories, it just seems like the city council didn't want to raise property it was, taxes. It was, it, it was passed. We had, a, it, I think it was like a $30 million bond total, mm -hmm. and so I'm having to recollect it, but it was passed with the promise that if you vote for this so we could fix streets, because like I said, if we were in a, in a downturn in the economy, we would not raise your taxes. And so working with the bond council, we scheduled the bond that was passed that as debt was being paid off, we would go into, we, we set priorities on the bond, what we would do. And I, it wasn't, the first thing was streets. And uh, we, we had uh, animal control, I want to say a million dollars for animal, um, the animal control uh, dog pound to be, be fixed. And we had, I, I can't remember, four or five million for 
the auditorium coliseum mm -hmm. and it was online uh to be used when the, when as debt would go down so it wasn't it wasn't just passed on sudden we spend it because that wasn't the commitment promise we made it would be as debt went off we would we would take the bond money and then perform okay. what was was agreed to and uh that would have been after i left okay yeah. yeah because then eventually i think they just said you know 10 years down the line or however long it was and they just said oh well, we don't have enough money and then that's just kind of the situation yeah, I, right yeah I know that i understand that <laughs> and you know and that's um um i just know what we did mm -hmm. you know and what we made a commitment to the citizens to do and our our commitment wasn't you know it's 30 million dollars make or break we're gonna spend it all because we were very sensitive about taxes and yeah. the economy and so we made a pledge as the bonds were being paid off and we would bring on new debt and we set the priority what that debt would be how to be placed and i can't remember where the auditorium coliseum was but the streets that was number one okay and that okay. was a number one issue to do okay well, very good well let's transition to the county judge now <laughs> okay. the job you're running for you know what uh, what are you talking about in your campaign what are you what are you hearing from voters well uh you know uh, I, r I run on five points there's five issues and I developed some of these issues from the fact that um, last fall I was on the Citizens Academy that's put together by uh, DPS Commander Albus, the regional commander for DPS, Department of Public Safety, and Greg Stevens, Chief of Police, LPD, and uh, Sheriff Rowe of Lubbock County. They take 30 citizens from Lubbock County and they show you what's going on in um, law enforcement in Lubbock County. And it's a no holds bar. I mean, they show you everything. I guess I need to rephrase that. They show us more than the average citizen would understand, okay. you know. And I guess uh, as I would sit there and listen to their presentation, I would see what's going on with crime. We know we have high issues here in Lubbock. We know we're part of a trafficking, uh, transport, trafficking uh, road that, that goes up from Mexico to here. And I would always ask, are you getting support from your elected officials to fight the fight you have to fight? And they would always pause and say, there's a lot of times they help us, and a lot of times, you know, it's just one of those things you work through. They just give me signals that it's not always rosy, rosy and, and, you know, and, and I don't mean giving somebody a blank check. But if we're going to uh, hire people to, to protect us, DPS, Sheriff's Office out in the county and city, SWAT teams, and LPD with their SWAT teams, uh, then you gotta trust their judgment and experience. I have yet to see an elected official that has more experience than they do. And they understand the, who the enemy is. I'm not sure we understand who the enemy is. We, you know, we have an idea from the news and media, but below that, that cover there is a there's a war going on with the drug trafficking and we have got a group of people from the state the local lpd and the sheriff's office that work together great great teamwork to protect us and they need support that's my number one that's one of my number one issues of running number two uh well, well first of all that was why i was running so i start looking obviously as a as a citizen why are they having money problems? Well, then I see where the commissioners keep giving themselves raises, 41% over the last three years. And they said they had to be competitive. 
I think that's a funny word to use when you're an elected official and you're writing your own check, competitive. And they said they compared themselves with El Paso, Middle and Odessa, Amarillo, Potter County, uh, you know, and, um, uh, I, you know, uh, you look at those counties and they were already making more than those county commissioners there and they still raised their salary above that. So, you know, that, that's not right. And uh, not only did they do that, but they gave themselves a $4,800 a year car allowance on top of that. And so, you know, I, I thought that was wrong to do that. And, you know, so if, uh, good Lord, when I get there, I intend to do something about that. And I'm going to put a stop to it, first of all and foremost, and I'm going to look at seeing what we can do to reduce it. Because I want to take the savings and see what we can do to, to go to my next point, support Sheriff Rowe, see what he's needing that maybe we can clear up uh, maybe uh, close up to $100,000. That could be two or three state, that could be two or three deputies right there that we need out in the county to help protect people and their property. Or it could be fixing the county road. So that was my, those are my th top three points. Uh, my fourth one was, of course, the roads. And my example of the roads are, uh, I'm a businessman at the city and state. We contract with paving companies to do the roads and do what needs to take place. I don't think anyone at the county has the expertise to, to drive a scraper or even kick up a, some heavy equipment and know what they're doing, from what I understand. And I'm not sure they understand how to hire the right kind of people to do that or paying them the, the kind of salaries it would take. It seems to me you need to look at the possibilities of contracting where these companies that do this, they do miles and days, and they have the expertise, the equipment, the insurance, everything you need to get things done, they have it. So I think it's critical to understand is, is that possibility. And then uh, uh, lastly uh, on the roads was, was Woodrow Road. Now that, you know, and, 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 I'm, and I, that is a road that's a two-lane highway from 84 all the way down to uh, Slide. And, you know, if you look at that, two lanes, and all of a sudden Cooper, Lubbock Cooper, is, is in the top two fastest-growing school districts in Texas. So you have a little area concentrated where they're going to grow up to 2,500 students, plus junior high and elementary, and 2,500 students is high school. You add the elementary and the junior high that's right there, the congestion of cars, students driving on a two-lane uh, asphalt road. So they have been making promises to get that fixed. I don't believe them. I don't believe they intend to get it fixed. I went down in 2012 and in front of the commissioner's court and asked them, as a parent, get this thing fixed. You're, you're creating a hazard of kids driving, people driving at night. You know, people get students being in wrecks all the time. Oh, it's, it's one of our priorities. No, it's not. It's not a priority or it would have been done. And uh, I've met with them. Uh, they're very alarmed at the traffic, that's the concentration. And I'm just appalled that they, that they have refused to do what it takes to get that road fixed. And, and now what's happening, because they have not done their duty, in my opinion, that the growth is, is going to create more issues. Because when you start finally trying to do things to get it fixed, it's going to create a big problem with the school district trying to work and have school around it. Now, I do have experience with roads and thoroughfares and um, Marsh Sharp Freeway. 
when I was on the council with uh, Tom Martin, former, former mayor and councilman Tom Martin, former councilman Jim Gilbreth, we worked uh, and got the uh, Milwaukee project done, a north-south thoroughfare. You know, it was uh, five, six lanes concrete, and we Tom Martin came up with a funding a funding plan to uh, fund that because to get TxDOT involved, you had to put skin in the game. Yeah. And when you put skin in the game, and they said you're going to put something in there, they'll work with you and find funding methods to get things accomplished. Mm-hmm. So uh, we we did that. We did the Northwest Passage, and then we we kicked in money to get Marshall Sharp finished. Tom and Jim have been studying with me ways of doing some unique funding to do uh, some of these roads that need to be fixed, updated quickly, and also have economic opportunity for people, you know, to 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 build uh, property value in Lubbock County. We're using the same format, the same plan, and we've come up with some, I think, pretty creative ways to do so, and which brings me to my last point, which is if we come up with a method, we take it to the voters. That's democracy. I would never dream of taking something uh, to uh, passing up to $120 million with the bonds, GO bonds, or CO, I mean, CO bonds, without voter approval. You know, um, I, I just, uh, you're, you're telling people you're smart enough to elect me, but you're not smart enough to understand what I'm doing. You know, and uh, the words the government likes to use is, you don't understand, you don't get it, it's hard to explain. No, we do get it, it's not hard to explain, and just because you're elected to me, you got some kind of genius or everybody else. You know, so I'm against that. I believe it's democracy to give people that opportunity to vote, and people are smart, they do do it. Okay, yeah, so let's take, I kind of want to go back to these points and kind of hone in on them a bit more so yes public safety um yeah so you so you feel like there there is a need there needs to be more focus on public safety i mean tell me how that reverts to policy do you know is there anything specific that sheriff well, needs that the county is you know, not uh, providing for him is something that i would advise him? all candidates to do it will it will enlighten their mind is the first thing you do is you start riding with the, the officers yeah Go out with them. I went out with the, the deputy troopers. I've gone out with DPS. I've gone out with um, LPD on on. Uh, I went out, I've gone out with LPD on holidays, on weekends, where all the action would be taking place. You know, New Year's type stuff. I've been in the helicopter with DPS and watched them fight crime in the helicopter. I understand the tools they need and the things they need. And they need first thing they need first and foremost is our, our greatest resource, Matt, is people. You gotta, you gotta believe in your people, and then you give them the first things to protect their lives. You never wanna be in a situation where you had to go tell someone's family that they were killed or in action or shot because we did not give them the proper equipment to protect them or the weapon, or the weapon to protect them in self-defense. We gotta always make sure they have the proper equipment. And then you have the, 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 the vehicles. And then you have to also make sure, because it's a very, you know, NFL is rough. Let me tell you something, police work and firemen's work, it's rough. And, you, and they get lots of injuries, lots of uh, downtown because they get injured or hurt, because it's, it's hand-to-hand combat. And they need good insurance. We need to make sure that our insurance program for these officers and our employees 
is what it needs to be to be top class to recruit and to bring in quality top people. And so uh, it, you always start with your people, protection, equipment, and then you have response times. You know, how quick do you want to respond? For instance, I was riding with the deputy sheriff, uh, and we were on a call in Slayton. This is Saturday night, and we get a call. He gets a call uh, for a CPS case with a child off of 179 in Warforth. It took us 20, 25 minutes to get there, and he can't run hot because he endangers, you know, it's, it, it, you just got to be careful. He gets there as quick as he can, but the, I mean, we're miles away. And, and I said, gee, if we didn't need more officers out here, he said, we don't have the budget. We had one more officer in South Lubbock, you know, one more officer in Northwest Lubbock, and one more in, in the east side. You know, it would help yeah. cut that response. Well, it's life and death. In this case, all we did was uh, bust somebody for drugs and, you know, protect, and took them to the, to the, to the pen, uh, excuse me, to the uh, uh, detention center. And uh, my pants from the old days, you know. So uh, detention center, the jail, you know. So, um, you know, yeah. yeah. So where do you free up the budget then? Well, you, you reestablish your priorities. You know, maybe instead of buying all the fancy equipment that's been going around, giving yourself raises, uh, wasting money on needless things that are just not priorities that of a – of a, of a budget. I've never seen a government budget you cannot squeeze out yeah. a lot of money and reestablish your priorities of what's important. So, so you think those exist? Absolutely. In the budget? I have no doubt. Mm -hmm. And I've seen school budgets, county, uh, city budgets, and I've seen this in the county. It does exist. Yeah. <laughs> it's priority. Mm -hmm. And so just... And just so I heard you correctly, so you're proposing reducing these raises that have gone up in years past, freeing, which would potentially free up, you said, $100,000 to Well, if you took, yeah, if you took, uh, if, if, everyone, if everyone gave up 20000 that's five people, that's 100000 right yeah. there. Now, they'll squeal. They'll squeal, <laughs> they sure man. Will, and you won't make many friends. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, but, you know, I'm not doing it to go there and make money. I'm doing it because we need this for our, to represent our community, to protect our community. They'll squeal. Sure, they'll squeal. I, I didn't expect them to sit there and say, oh, gee, here, let me make a contribution. No. <laughs> it's going to be tough. Yeah. You know, I, I get it. So I've talked a lot with commissioners about these pay raises. Uh, of course, I mean, the argument they're making is that, well, these, there hadn't been a raise in eight years. Oh, I'm sorry. So this was <laughs> I hate was that. Okay. Gee. Was, okay, so why is that, why is that a, a, a invalid argument? Well, it's how they do it. It's always about how you do it. Yeah. When you take it upon yourself, that's the only unique body that can vote itself a raise and not have to run on it or whatever. You know, fix, first of all, you fix that. If you're going to be raises, you say, okay, we're going to vote raises, and then we'll all run for office. And if you're elected or that next election cycle, you can, you can accept the raise in. But the amount of the raise, I think maybe we ought to have a citizens committee of, a, of citizens, of business people, and to make sure it's being fair so they do a comparable you know, is this raise going to put us above Amarella? Is, I mean, is, all of a sudden, does Lubbock have more than Amarella? I mean, we need to balance it out and do some cost of living adjustments. And I don't think you'd find it being what it is today. I think you'd find it about 20000 too high. Okay. You know, so I'm very, yeah. you know, I'm very emphatic about it. It's my opinion. Now, they're going to sit there and squeal because it's their livelihood. But, you know, the thing is, when they ran for the job, they knew what it paid. They saw the pay. And when they saw that they could raise it and not be held accountable, they've raised it.
So I disagree with that kind of policy. But that's my opinion. Okay. And you said it correctly. I mean, they are, they are the only government body that can give themselves raises. That's right. That's Congress just, can. But that's just the way it's set up. Yes. You know, no one else can. They're yeah. in charge with their own salaries and the salaries of all elected officials in sure. the county. So I'm assuming you're just talking about county I'm only talking about county commissioners. And on the other salaries, I think we need to do comparative data. And when I do comparison data, I've been in personnel employment. I understand that you get what you pay for. You know, uh, the other officials, uh, you have to look at, for instance, uh, let's, look at, let's look at the uh, uh, sheriff. I want to make sure that we have the best paid sheriff and that his team and staff are paid competitively so he doesn't train them and lose them to uh, municipality police force, to university police forces, to other cities. I want this to be the place that you want to work. Yeah. And I want this to be the place that gives you the best equipment because it protects us. Mm -hmm. It's our investment. Yeah. And our investment in our safety creates lower insurance premiums for homeowners and safety for your families so uh, and a better quality of life. So I, in that case, you'll see me all of a sudden reverse the ball. I'm for having the best paid uh, armed people, you said law enforcement. You use the word competitive. Yes, sir. <laughs> May I say? So, now, now those, so why is that competitive? But because we're elected. We're elected, and we knew what the job paid. These people are employees that are looking for a, a, a life career path. And it needs to be a career path that when they spend $30,000 training them each year, we don't want to lose them, have to waste that money and start over. You want a career path where they see a place to go from being a corporal to a sergeant to a lieutenant to SWAT to whichever it is. They need a career path. Mm -hmm. these, are, these are the employees. These aren't the elected people. Now, the elected people, you know, the, the same officials need to have the same competitive with other counties. I'm for commissioners being competitive with other counties. Uh, but when they went up on their raises, they were already above the other counties. So I would say getting business people, getting community people to do to come together and say, let's look at the commissioner's salary. How much more is it than what it should be? And what can we do to adjust it, to make it flow correctly? And then take those dollars and let's reinvest them in our protection for the best things we can do for our families. Mm -hmm. And then you said if, if their salaries do go up, if, if the county commissioners and the county judge do vote salaries, a salary increase, that doesn't take effect until after their term. After the next election cycle, because you can say he's going to be running, he'll get this raise if he's elected. The people get a chance to have a say. Okay. The, the, letting people vote is your check and balance in government, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. It's always your final check. And it's the, it's somehow the ball's been changed to where they're dictating to the people the way it's going to be, take it or lump it, you know. Mm -hmm. exactly. So that's, that's how we're hopefully my goal would be to change status quo. Yeah. And so I want to talk more about roads, Woodrow Road, as you mentioned. Um, it just, the situation seems to be because the city's not going to get involved, TxDOT's not going to get involved. It is the county's project. And the way it's going now, it seems like it's going to be, a, it's, it's going to be, you know, CO bonds or GO bonds, it's going to have to be debt funded. Is that fair to say? I would, I would say probably it's going to have to be. And that being the case, that means as an elected official, I have to come up with a, a, a revenue stream that we can take and dedicate to paying for a bond. 
and what's what's the impact going to be to each homeowner and then giving them the, the the opportunity to vote it up or down i personally believe when you do that then as an official i make the case to you as a citizen saying if we don't get this done we're going to have children's lives we're going to have wrecks we're going to get it's going to be a death road and it's it's getting there now and also, if we do this, we can increase the tax base of growth that's going to make everyone, uh, city, schools, and county, grow also because there'll be opportunity to have business development along the corridor. And, you know, when you sit back and do nothing, that's the problem. Nothing just kills you. Nothing really puts you behind the eight ball. And that's what they've done. And if you go out and talk to the superintendent, he's been here four years, he's highly alarmed by the fact that no one is taking this as a project to get done because he knows what's going to what's going to happen, and we can't put ourselves in that situation with children's lives or people's lives. I wouldn't do it in North Lubbock. I wouldn't do it in Northeast, or Southwest, or Southeast. You know, you want to be sure you put safety with your children. You got buses running on that two-lane highway. Mm-hmm. You've got cars, trucks. You, you've got some eighteen-wheelers cutting through there. I mean, it, it, it's not safe out there, Matt, and and I, I'm just alarmed that it's gone this far and yet not being dealt with. Yeah. So we're coming up with a strategy that can be done as a revenue stream to take to the voters, and then we it's coming upon us to sell it, to, to make people believe that it is the right thing to do. If I can't do that, I don't need to stay there. <laughs> but but that's <laughs> okay. but that's such a unique. Uh, like uh, uh, voter-approved bond project. Because normally when you think about voter-approved projects, they're for the benefit of everyone. Sure. You know, there are things like like parks and there are things like, uh, you know, the Auditorium Coliseum, things like that. This is just such a specific project. That's the way I mean, how do you get people in, that's the way New, it's deal, been, in New Deal to vote? How do you get them to see the it, bigger it, picture? It's like school bonds. You know, everyone benefits. You go, to, you go to each community and see what the needs are, just like a school. So you get the schools in the north, the south, and the east, and the west, yeah. and there's something that they need done, too. And you put it together as a whole. Having people vote on roads, fire stations, police departments, subs, that's not old stuff. I mean, I mean, new stuff. This has been done traditionally for the history, mm-hmm. and people supported the, the detention center. That was passed by a vote of the people. The commissioners did good there. They got up and said, we got to have this for Lubbock. Lubbock saw it and said, you bet, and they got behind it. You have to sell it. You have to believe in yourself. Now, would it be easy to sit back and say, yeah, you're too stupid to know what's good for you, and I'm just going to do it anyway, and then, by the way, I'm going to get myself a raise for being so smart? Yeah, we've had some of that, too, in, in the, in the uh, stew. You know, I get it, but that's not right, and that doesn't build a democracy that we got to have here of citizen of a citizen-focused community, yeah. and that's what we got to have. So we've talked about the big projects. Let's talk about basic just street maintenance now. Of course, th- those are the number one calls I get. They're the number one calls county commissioners get too, which is basic road upkeep. They um, said they how can they, that be they, Okay, let me give you a couple of deals. They've, they have budgeted this year, they put $7 million on Loop 88 for right-of-ways. I, I'm for Loop 88. Mm-hmm. you got to get ahead of it. Of course, Loop 88, they're saying, won't be built in 40 years. I yeah. won't be around in 40 years. Well, <laughs> okay? So this year, I think they gave about $3 million, and then they're going to do it in increments of like yeah. one well, and hey, a half. You know, how about taking care and of what you got before you jump out there and do more stuff? Yeah. You know, how about starting back at, at square one, 
before you jump to square 10, just so you look good with the, with the, with the beautiful people that this is what they want done now. You've got to take care of our maintenance now. They said, well, we did a million dollars worth of asphalt and caliche. There is a breakdown between the budget and the kind of equipment we have, the kind of operators we have that are not trained or understand how to do it. They're taking these county roads that are uh, caliche and they're scraping off the crown. The crown is what keeps the water running off, flattening it, and putting, filling up the, you know, the gully, filling up the... Uh, just uh, the bar ditches. Yeah, the bar ditch, excuse me. And, uh, and if it rains, you're going to have flooding, severe flooding. And they got to be trained on how to do that. You know, and so I need, I don't, you know, I'm concerned that the breakdown, like, take the asphalt. You can shoot asphalt. I've worked on paving crews my whole life growing up. My parents had me shoveling uh, uh, hot mix <clears throat> up and down the highway. I get it. I understand it. And there's things you have to do so you don't have it breaking off and crumbling on the edges. And I'm not sure that my impression is from listening to farmers and people talk, there's no training, they don't know what they're doing, and they're tearing up stuff, and then they, they scrape the crown off. It's going to really cause a hazard, any kind of increment weather we have. And these farmers cannot get their equipment in, they can't get their crop out with this kind of thing going on. It's, it, it's got to be a priority in budget, but it's got to be a priority in training the personnel that's going to be the local maintenance part. If we're going to have a local maintenance barn to yeah. do this, be trained, and pay the right kind of wages to get the kind of skill level you got to have to know what they're doing because of the work they do, if they tear up, is a lot worse than trying to save a dollar here on salary. So do you think they're just doing it haphazardly? I don't think they know what they're doing on a lot of it. I really don't. I don't okay. think it's on purpose. I just think, I just think they just don't know. Yeah. Because you're exactly right, and I've gone and I've traveled a lot of the dirt roads, and yeah, they're just they're just flat. The water has nowhere to go. That's right. And, and when it floods, it floods. You know? Yeah. And in, in West Texas, you know, we we may get one of those kind of rains. It may be like right now, a drought. And then we get everybody praying for rain, and rain comes, and all of a sudden we got a flood, and we can't, we can't go forward, we can't go backward. Uh -huh. You know, and so uh, it has to be done consistently to protect us, depending on how the weather does go. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to public safety and talk about um, uh, fire and EMS services in the county. Okay. You know, specifically EMS services, that's been... Um, that's been discussed lately if there's going to be any changes if umc is going to be more well they've already become more and umc has already become more involved in the city they're responding to responding to all the city calls and then there's questions as to whether or not they're going to move in the county if these volunteer ems uh groups can't sustain so i mean how does how should the county get involved if at all well <laughs> Here the situation is this: the city council appointed a group of, of a, a councilman and a group of the different hospital representatives to formulate some kind of places they could start working together. Then they came up with some, I want to use the word guidelines, and they came to a smaller group, and it was uh, UMC Covenant Heart Hospital, uh, Grace Clinic, I believe at the time. Grace Clinic now is part of Covenant, and and. Uh, to uh, monitor it and make recommendations going forward. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen what those recommendations are, but the thing is, you know, I, I'm gonna use the city hall words, choice, they like choice. And you also have to be a way to understand that um, 
uh, uh, how it's serviced and who, if it's, if it's either by zip codes, if it's by streets or location or whatever, or, or, or the, the uh, person's choice and, you, you know, you, you back and forth it, you know, on choice. Uh, it, 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 it has to be it has to be worked out by those people that know if I'm if I had a, in a situation by covenant you know in minutes count do I want to go clear across town to UMC if I'm already by covenant or vice versa if I'm by UMC and I want to go to you know covenant there's got to be some balance there I don't know where they're at on this thing but it's going to take a lot of everybody sitting down at the table mm-hmm. and and I'll have to show leadership in that area the UMC belongs to the county we're responsible for it my view of that is um, I recognize the hospital as being one of the best places to work in the state of Texas. So my question is, why would I mess with it? If they're doing great and they're doing their, their mission, I don't want to get involved in an administrator, doctor, or patient squabble. You know, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not a healthcare specialist. Now, I, I, we do have input on the board. And there's been some great board members they had that are business people that understand the problem. They're, they'll fix it and they'll make recommendations. I think you have to let the process work itself with the kind of board members you put and allow them to work and encourage them to sit down and work with everybody to get to the what's best for the patient. And yeah. I think they both have that objective. Uh, it may not be moving as fast as we want, but we're also in a changing environment to where healthcare, the, you know, the margins are so thin that um, people are very careful about what they do and don't do. So it's got to be thought well thought out, laid out, and, and, and have leadership, but work together to, to make it work. So it's a competitive environment, you know. Yeah. My responsibility is, is certainly to the, like I said, is, is making sure we have the quality board members that can meet the challenge of a growing hospital that's first class in the state of Texas. Yeah. Cabinet's first class. Hard hospitals first class. I've been there when I was younger, you know, and I tell you, it's first class, you know. So um, they're all strengths, you know. And and the enemy is not all of us. The enemy is how can we beat the bigger enemy, you know. So that's my focus on that. Yeah. So I watched the Chamber of Commerce debate. Um, wanted to talk with a few things that came up there. Um, one of the candidates for county judge, Curtis Parrish, is really, he's, um, you know, he, he has the only law background. He's an attorney, and he's, he's saying um, that there's a lot of judicial responsibilities in this seat that you and Karen just aren't addressing. So, I mean, how, will there be a steep learning curve, and how do you expect to kind of go in there and then sit over kind of your probate matters and the guardianship and the mental health cases in Lubbock County? You know, um, I disagree with the 70% uh, responsibility. Uh, Like I said in in that debate, when our founders of our state constitution set up our constitution, they set up a unique creature called the county government. And they set up district courts, district courts of law, where it does take an attorney to be a judge. They set up county court of laws where it does take an attorney. And then they set up a special court called commissioner's court, which is a citizen's court, where you don't have to be an attorney. You can be a, a farmer. You can be a businesswoman, a businessman. You can be a, you know, a, a school teacher. You can be anybody because it's a people's court. And that's how the Constitution set it up. And under that commissioner's court, they gave responsibilities. They gave the budget. They gave the probates. They gave the um, 
guardianships. They gave uh, the uh, emergency operations uh, responsibilities. They gave the uh, elections to make sure the elections are carried out in a proper manner. Because the county is nothing but an extension of Austin legislature. We represent, the county of Lubbock represents the criminal justice system in a location. Mm -hmm. And so we're very, we're very focused on our, our we're very, uh, very, it's very distinctive what our responsibilities are. For the probation and for the guardianships and the, the, the mentally insane hearings and things, uh, there's, there's a, they have put an attorney in the county judge's office, the judges did, to assist and handle guardianships and the pro probates if anything is contested and to help get the backlog down. A lot of that backlog is not self-inflicted locally as much as it's the state laws have changed and they added to the burden and it, there was not enough hours and to, to deal with yeah. it. So they put an attorney into the office with the staff required to handle it. And then secondly, if there's anything that's contested, you know, uh, it goes automatically to the county court law, mm -hmm. three, that will handle these disputes. Same with guardianships. And, you, you know, a county judge will be trained in the same courses statewide to handle the probates and, and things that are administrative where there's no contesting going on. So to say that 70% of that is there is not really a true statement. And, and, and then lastly, uh, you have a whole, I mentioned a whole floor of, of civil attorneys at the DA's office. Now, I don't understand why all of a sudden it takes an attorney here when you have the court law threes to handle disputes or, or things not agreed upon. And then plus you have a civil division. Yeah, I mean, you've got a whole floor of them yeah. that can handle things, yeah. you know. So this is, you know, the thing I would say, according to our forefathers, if we take Texas history right and pass it in the public schools and they're teaching it, is this was set up to be a citizen's court, a citizen, not a, an attorney court. Mm -hmm. Can an attorney be there? Sure, but it's not required. And in most a lot of the counties, you won't find an attorney there yeah. on that. So that's... Uh, Different perspective. Yeah, but I mean, but you would be different than, the, say, the current county judge, who I think does handle those matters. He handled, well, we so all would handle the administrative because the county judge is unique in Texas because it's a, it's a, it's sort of like the three branches of government. It's executive, it's judicial, and it's also legislative. So you have all three duties. Now, I could sit there and say, I'm going to handle just the executive and not do judicial, or I'm going to handle the judicial and not handle the legislative. But it, it encompasses all three responsibilities. It's a unique position. And on the judicial, when you have someone already in your office and you, you have, like I said, a whole floor of attorneys that can help you if you need it, plus you're, you're trained to handle the general administration of probating wills that are non-contested. It's a matter of following the law, following the statutes, and understanding, as, a, as we do, we understand where people are coming from because we've been in their shoes, you know, uh, understanding that and following the law to help them probate their will or take care of these guardianships where children aren't left out there with bad situations or bad scenarios. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then it also came up during that debate, um, your resignation on the council. Do you want to talk about that? I think you well, were you were called out for you know, basically when the going got tough. That was too. That was uh, when I left. Uh, we were in a. If I recall the history. We were in a recession at the time. We're a family-owned business, and I left because uh, we. That was when Obama was getting ready to be elected. 
the job market was tanking, and we're in the, in the job market business, and I had to make a choice of my, I'm not immune from anything in love like anybody else, and our business was starting to go in the tank real slow, and I mean, it was moving quickly and fast, so we had to make a choice that, do I stay here, or am I going to get after my business and survive? I made a choice to survive, and I do the same today, because if I hadn't survived, we wouldn't have had a business. Mm-hmm. So that was a matter of what I, I need to do to survive. Okay. So there was kind of a wrongful termination lawsuit going on at the time. That was separate from... Any lawsuits involving the city involved the, the city of Lubbock, not me individually, not Karen Gibson's treasurer, Mark McDougal, not, any, not Tom Martin, not any of us. The city would, would be sued on... Every year about something. Mm-hmm. It was a city had been sued as a whole. Okay. So that was that's consistent with what's been taking place. Okay. So the buzzword lately this past legislative session was of, was local control. That's been the new <laughs> that's been the new phrase. Um, a few county commissioners last session went and testified in Austin arguing against uh, the Senate Bill Two, which was a property tax reform lowering the rollback rate. The governor has since announced a new plan lowering that rate to two and a half percent. Um, where do you fall on that issue? I think I think the phrase "local control" is phony. I think it's a, I think it's a word to, to misdirect people on uh, what what's taking place. And um, I think um, um, local control. We got local control. Local control means you control the tax rate. I've never seen anyone put a gun to anyone's head and says you can't raise it if you need money or you can't lower it. But what, what it means is the effective tax rate is the same amount of money each government gets each year. It, it's the same amount they had the previous year. Now, they also get 8% more money on top of that. That's called an 8% cap. So they get the same amount of money they had mm-hmm. last year, then 8% free money, free tax money. And that comes from appraisals and the appraisal valuation process. I call that taxation by appraisals yeah it's valuation taxation yeah and so they like to say well if you take that eight percent away that cap you're, you're interfering with local control no they're not you can you can raise your tax rate you can lower it no one's taking away the, anything from you the state has always had the rules procedures of taxation they write it they've done it from the beginning of time nothing's changed the argument is they want eight percent free money the Abbott and, and, the, and the legislature pushed it down to 4%. And it almost passed, but the House dismissed early. It didn't pass. So local control says, oh, we don't have local control because we want 8%, but they lowered it down to 4%. You know, you still, if you need to go above it, just vote it. Yeah. Vote so, it. So what are your thoughts then when, you know, every year the city and the county come out with their budgets and they say they, they, they kept the tax rate the same? And, and then me in the media, I write the same thing. County passes a budget with the same tax rate, keeping the tax rate flat. I mean, what do you? Well, you look what at your it, thought, What's your immediate thought after that? What it means to you is you're at home, and last year you paid a thousand dollars with the taxes. This year you pay fifteen hundred or twelve hundred. You're saying they say they don't raise their taxes, but I'm paying more money. How'd that happen? Yeah. You know, you're paying more tax money, but they say, you know, we did a good job. We didn't raise the tax rate. Well, because it's, it is a tax increase. Anytime you go over the amount of money you had previously to operate. Now, they say, well, we've got to have it for growth. Well, guess what? 
you do get new growth money. That's always calculated in there also. So all that annexation, all this new growth, whatever houses, stuff, they go into the tax rolls and you get that, that extra money. Well, we need it for uh, some little projects we got. Or we need to pay off uh, some, some uh, towers that we voted for. It's going to cost three cents. We need some money fast, you know. And so they, they sit there and say, we can't operate because they're taking local control away. Nobody puts a gun to their head and says they can't do it. You're entitled to every penny you, you want to vote for if you can sell it to the citizens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they don't want to sell it. So if you go above the effective tax rate, then you're raising your taxes. Now that's just plain, simple math. They know it. I know it. And people aren't stupid. They know it. Mm -hmm. And they know how it's being misdirected. Mm -hmm. So, yes. So you're running in a contested Republican primary. Um, Voters right now are looking at the three candidates, trying to decipher how they differ. You know, how, how would you summarize the ways in which you differ from your opponents, all Republicans, all running for a county judge? I'm a businessman, and uh, I understand working with employees, with people. Uh, we were at one, one time the seventh largest private company in Lubbock, and we, it's, it's, we built it up. And um, as a businessman... I look for ways to be more efficient. That's my natural leanings. And I understand the value of a budget because my budget is my own money, whereas the government budget is not their money. And so it's a lot easier to play with other people's money than it is your own money. And so what differentiates me is I've seen schools, and I've been in a school district when we were in the recessions. I've been in the city when we were in recessions. You know, and, and had to do things to, 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 uh, to watch money and to come up with ways to streamline. I know city budgets, school budgets, and, I've been, and I'm a businessman. And I also know how to identify issues and get to the sore problem of it, or core problem of it, and fix it. And, and I'm real, real uh, focused on not playing games and getting it fixed, like the, you know, the roads. Mm -hmm. Like the you know the building a progression plan for employees at at the jail or the or the sheriff's office or or the other places the secretaries and the staff support that need a career path to stay put when they're trained. We got to do things. You got to do that. So I'm real focused on knowing that. I know that. I would also say because of my skill level and what I've done in the past, two different governors of different parties recognized and put me in leadership situations to solve problems. I have done that. And I, I'm very focused on what it takes to solve, and I, I do that. So I would say that my experience is I'm the only one that has experience mm -hmm. in multiple government agencies, the only one that's been selected by governors and recognized what we have done as a, as a trademark to improve a situation. And, um, and as a businessman, I bring skill sets to the table that the rest of them don't have. You know, so... Um, uh, I would say that's the primary difference. What I would would say is why I'm more qualified than than my opponents would be. Okay. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Gary, I've taken up a lot of your time. I, I appreciate you coming in today. Um, that's all the questions I have. Anything we didn't get to, or are we good? Uh, I think we're pretty much good. <laughs> is uh, I can't think of anything. I will say one last thing. Okay. Please. <laughs> a family of four in Lubbock makes forty-five thousand dollars a year. That's a little over 22 bucks an hour. 
and time they get their take home. You know, they got to take care of kids, a family of four, take care of kids, school, soccer, baseball, basketball, volleyball, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, church activities, and the school is always nickel and diamond because they need help for whatever and always trying to help. And every time we raise taxes on people or we raise fees on people, because the city budget's gone up and uh, you know about 300 million in about the last eight years. And that comes from people's pockets. And I don't care if you're a rate payer, you know, it comes from the same wallet. Ratepayer, taxpayer, LPNL payer, mm -hmm. water sewer payer, it comes from your wallet. And we diminish their ability to survive and make a, a, a good living in Lubbock when we do things that are, are not, what I consider foolish and really harmful to democracy. Mm -hmm. Very good. So, Gary, I appreciate you. your time. Yes, sir. Thank, thank you, you very much.